Welcome again. We're here in our study of the Epistle of Paul to the Philippians. It's week number two, and we're going to be looking at chapter one, verses three through six tonight. So glad you're here with us. And let's begin with prayer. Father, we are grateful to you that you give to us your word, that you have maintained it and guarded it so that we have it from generation to generation. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done and do for us, and especially for sending your Son, our Savior, Yeshua, that he would become the propitiation for our sins, and that in him we would have eternal life. We bless you, Lord, for these words of Paul, that by your Spirit carrying him along, inspired, and we thank you, Lord, that we have them. We pray that as we study these uh, wonderful verses tonight, that you would cause them to be penetrated into our hearts and our minds, that they might encourage us and strengthen us by your Spirit to walk in a way that pleases you and to give your name honor and glory in all that we do. So we trust you for these things, and we thank you for the opportunity of meeting together this way as we study your word. In Yeshua's name, amen. Okay, we're going to read from the Net Bible tonight, uh, the first chapter of Philippians. I'm not always enthused with the translation of the Net Bible. I think sometimes the notes are very helpful, but uh, they take a little bit of liberty. <laughs> so we'll read it and see how it goes. I will be substituting Yeshua and Messiah for Jesus Christ, just because I like to do that. I don't have any problem with the English Jesus Christ, but uh, I think it's important for us to be reminded of who he is in his Hebrew and Israeli context. Okay, so here we are, Philippians chapter 1 in the Net Bible. From Paul and Timothy, slaves of Messiah Yeshua, to all the saints in Messiah Yeshua who are in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua Messiah. I thank my God every time I remember you. I always pray with joy in my every prayer for all of you because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Messiah Yeshua. For it is right for me to think this about all of you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense uh, and confirmation of the gospel, all of you became partners in God's grace together with me. For God is my witness that I long for all of you with the affection of Messiah Yeshua. And I pray this, that your love may abound even more and more in knowledge and in every kind of insight, so that you can decide what is best, and thus be sincere and blameless for the day of Messiah." filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Yeshua Messiah to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. The whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am in prison for the sake of Messiah, and most of the brothers and sisters, having confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment, now more than ever dare to speak the word fearlessly. Some, to be sure, are preaching Messiah from envy and, and rivalry, but others from good will. The latter do so from love, because they know that I am placed here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Messiah from selfish ambition, not sincerely, because they think they can cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. What is the result? 
only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Messiah is being proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Yeshua Messiah. My confident hope is that I will in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now as always, Messiah will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die. For to me, living is Messiah, and dying is gain. Now if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean productive work for me, yet I don't know which I prefer. I feel torn between the two, because I have a desire to depart and be with Messiah, which is better by far. But it is more vital for your sake that I remain in the body. And since I am sure of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for the sake of your progress and joy in the faith, so that what you can be proud of may increase because of me in Messiah Yeshua when I come back to you. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Messiah, so that whether I come and see you, or whether I remain absent, I should hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel, and by not being intimidated in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of their destruction, but of your salvation, a sign which is from God. For it has been granted to you not only to believe in Messiah, but also to suffer for him, since you are encountering the same conflict that you saw me face, and now hear that I am facing. Okay, so there's the first chapter, and we'll look at the notes now. Uh, we're, we're just going to go through, I'll make it just a little bigger. Uh, we're going to go from uh, verse 3 through verse 6. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, if you've read ahead in Philippians, and I would encourage you to read it completely every week if you're able to, because you'll be able to get the whole picture. But we know that as we're coming up into the uh, into the next chapters, that there are some that Paul does not rejoice in. He doesn't have joy with them because they are causing all kinds of uh, problems and so forth. So, in some ways, we who, uh, and I'm going to use the term messianic movement, I don't know what other term to use, we who are part of this messianic movement where we're seeking to regain an understanding of the gospel, of the understanding of Yeshua, of the understanding of the whole of the scriptures and not just part of it, and to practice what we're able to practice in terms of what the Torah has taught us and even what the Torah commands by God's grace. And yet, as is often the case, we see in in our movement a lot of di di divisiveness. We see a lot of division. We see uh, people teaching things that have no basis whatsoever and causing all kinds of disruption amongst the movement. Uh, it is so important that we emphasize the need to go back to the Scriptures and to seek to know what the Scriptures say and to make that our uh, basis for how we meet, what our goals are, how we conduct ourselves, and how we form a community that will last. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. 
in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So when Paul looks uh, and hears and gets uh, uh, news from Timothy, from others who came uh, to be with him and so forth, they get news of what's happening in Philippi. He is overjoyed in his prayers for them. Well, uh, this is the way it should be. He starts out by saying, I thank my God. In It was not uncommon for authors of ancient letters, and I'm not talking about biblical letters, I'm talking about uh, uh, letters that are have been uncovered and so forth in papyri and so forth uh, from the ancient Near East um, and even from the region of Israel was not uncommon for authors of ancient letters to thank a particular deity in the opening of the written co- uh, communication. So they were they were thanking the false gods in many of their writings, uh, the Greek gods and so forth and so on. But here we see Paul using a same opening in his epistle to the Philippian believers, but with this obvious emphasis that there is one and only one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that is, the God of Israel. He makes this emphatic by stating that the God he thanks is my God. So, which not only designates the one true God, but also emphasizes the personal and saving or salvific relationship a believer has with God through faith in Yeshua and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Can we say that he is our God? Yes, absolutely. Why? Because he has drawn us into his family. He has adopted us into his family. He is our Father. He is the one and only true God, and he is our God. We find Paul using the same phrase, I thank my God is the opening of three other epistles in Romans 1.18, 1 Corinthians 1.4, and Philemon 1.4. So it would seem that this was a favorite way of beginning an epistle directed to a specific messianic community in which he had ministered. And there's nothing more um, exhilarating and rewarding for leaders within a given community to see that the people of that community which they are shepherding and perhaps teaching and and uh, so forth that they are uh, uh, holding on to the truth and seeking to live that out in their relationships and family and marriage and within the community as a whole and what does that mean how do we attain that kind of community where there is shalom and where there was a desire to help one another We do so by obeying God's commandments. The things he hates, we hate. And the things he loves, we love. It's interesting, isn't it, that the scriptures say that there are six things, yea, seven, that the Lord hates. And what is the the last one? Sowing discord amongst the brethren. Yes. Well, how do we get over this this divisive aspect that happens. It's a matter of humility. We have to agree with God that we don't know everything and we don't have everything correct, but He does. And so we must continue to go to His instructions and seek to humble ourselves before Him and say, I want to do it your way. My way is not important. Your way is. Some have suggested that when Paul speaks of my God, he is likewise emphasizing his calling as an apostle of Yeshua, 
and the authority that this often entails, office entails. And, and I think that may well be an emphasis. As one specifically chosen by the risen Yeshua and appointed to go as his apostle to the Gentiles, Paul acknowledges that his ministry and service to the believers in Philippi has as its goal to exalt Yeshua and to help nurture those within the believing community to serve and honor him. This is accomplished by being consistent and uh, consistent and vibrant, and vibrant witnesses of his redeeming work of saving sinners. So, Paul is in kind of a, shall we say, a veiled way, uh, asserting his apostolic authority when he says, My God, God is the one who knocked him off of his ride and shown the glory before him. And the, the, the voice of Yeshua came, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Or seeking to persecute me by persecuting my, my believers, my followers. So he says, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Though the Greek literally has epipaste mea, nea, actually, huon, humon, upon all the remembrance of you, the definite article the is rightly taken to have a possessive force, and thus my remembrance. What I'm simply saying is, if for those of you that may be consulting the Greek, you might say, well, the word my is not there. That's true, but the word the can sometimes have that connotation. In all the remembrance of you, meaning my remembrance of you, and that's obviously how this should be taken. Paul's prayer of thanksgiving flows first from his contemplation or remembrance of the work of God that took place in Philippi as the gospel of Yeshua was given and received. So he was instrumental, used of the Lord, to establish the gospel in Philippi and to help this group form. And even as we as we read in the book of Acts, that, that they uh, appointed overseers, elders, in every one of the communities. And, and Paul continues to pray for them, uh, to pray for the whole community, but undoubtedly to pray for those who were leaders there so that the truth would be constantly uh, taught and the, the Spirit of God would embed that truth within them and they would live it out. Now, that's a cooperative work, isn't it? We're not just passive at all. When the Spirit of God... In, encourages us or leads us or even pushes us in a direction we must yield to him yielding to the spirit of God is our part his part is to continue to conform us to the very person and image of Yeshua himself and so Paul is, is joyful that these believers are growing in their faith to say yes to God, to say no to the flesh, and to live humbly with one another, and therefore to be a genuine witness of the love of Yeshua. So, Paul uses mnea, which is the word to remember, or remembrance, six other times, and I've given them to you there in the notes in Romans 1.9, Ephesians 1.16, 1 Thessalonians 1.2 and 3.6, 2 Timothy 1.3 and and Philemon 1.4, which highlights the fact that one of the constant aspects of his service to the Lord was to engage in regular prayer for the communities in which he has ministered. And this is an important 
part for all of us who are have any leadership uh, role or office or whatever or uh, responsibilities. We must do our work and do it well, but we must constantly be in prayer for the people that we lead or the people that we help or the people that we shepherd. And we see this very clearly in Paul as an example because he says this quite often, that he remembers them, but it doesn't just mean he thinks about them. It means uh, undoubtedly that he constantly was praying for them, interceding for them at the throne of grace, that God would continue to form the gospel within them and that the Spirit of God would be the, the one to whom they would submit and follow his leading. So he engaged in regular prayer for the communities in which he administered. Here we find an example to follow. For as we fellowship together in our respective communities, we pray for one another and rejoice with each other for the work of God that is evident within the lives of those who fellowship together. Now, obviously, in a fallen world, there's going to be times where things are not all that we'd like them to be. There are going to be times when people make uh, sinful choices. There may even be those that come into our fellowship uh, our communities which are not truly born from above. And they therefore have an entirely different personal agenda. Again, what is the, the primary thing that we all need? It is the willingness to submit one to the other in the, in the, the very uh, strength of the Lord. It doesn't mean that we submit to someone who's wrong. But it does mean that we don't try to usurp authority that's not given to us. So as we share the life of faith together, we have great cause to rejoice as we see God's work within each of us, causing us more and more to conform to the life of Yeshua and thus to give Him glory and praise. Calvin put it this way, We must also take notice what things they are for which he gives thanks to God, speaking of Paul here in our context, the fellowship of the Philippians in the gospel of Messiah. For it follows from this that it ought to be ascribed to the grace of God. When we ourselves are drawn to submit to the Lord, to seek His favor, to seek to do His will, what is that? That is the fruit of God's work in our life. We don't come by that ourselves. That's the work of the Spirit of God within us. Granted, we must submit to the Spirit. We must say yes to Him. But the Spirit is the one who causes us to grieve when we walk in a way that is unpleasing to Him. In a, physic, in a, in a spiritual sense, we could say he, he gives us heartache. When things are not right, and we know that we have done what is contrary to the will of the Lord, He causes us to grieve because He grieves. And that in itself is a measure of his love. He does not abandon us. He intends us to become more and more like Yeshua. So Paul presents a good model for all who are in Messiah, to use Paul's common phrase, that we ought to consider our fellowship together in the local assembly of believers as a true blessing and therefore a cause of true thankfulness to God for each other. Oh, I know. Sometimes being part of a community is hard work. 
sometimes we may go away from our meetings and say, oh boy, I don't know. That was kind of interesting. People were uh, not agreeing with each other and there was, seemed to be unrest and so forth and so on. Okay, but what do we do? We don't throw in the towel. We don't give up. We don't unleash the rope and go our own way. Sail our own course. No, we come to the Lord and say, help me. Give me strength. Give me right understanding. Give me the direction that I should go. Words that I should say. How can I be a cause for unity in the midst of this assembly? Here then, in the opening of this epistle, Paul presents a true model for us, reminding us all that our fellowship together through the grace of Yeshua and the indwelling Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, ought to produce a growing sense of thanksgiving to God for the gift of true fellowship in Yeshua. What a gift we have! Sometimes I think we fail to contemplate and consider the riches that we have in Yeshua. Do we really honestly believe that we are His? That He died for me? That the Spirit of God indwells me? Then how can I not draw upon His grace and power to continue to do what I need to do and that I know I'm supposed to do as one member of the believing community? To use whatever I am able to do by His strength to gain and to support unity together so that the world would know that we are a people who love one another and care for each other because we are loved of God and we love Him. Paul goes on to say in verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Just as Paul writes, my God, so here he speaks personally of my every prayer. This emphasizes once again that the mention of Timothy in the opening verse is to indicate that Timothy was a companion and helper to Paul, but that in the position and authority of an apostle of Yeshua, Paul speaks for himself and is clearly writing this epistle primarily as a communication between himself and the Philippian community. So here Paul emphasizes the joy that he has for the manner in which the Philippian community continues to progress and to remain firm in their faith and service to Yeshua, to one another, as well as himself personally. They're not only ministering to themselves within their community, but the strength of the community is that they're able to reach out to those outside of the community and even to Paul himself. He affirms that he is regularly, and we could just as well translate this Greek word, uh, pantote, uh, always, in prayer regarding the Philippian community. This is a common pattern for Paul. How often do we, individually, pray for one another? Granted, we can pray with one another, but when we're home during the week, do we pray for each other? Do we seek to lift up to the Lord the needs of the community? We all are members of the community in which we are part, and therefore we all have the privilege of praying for each other and praying for God's uh, grace and for His strength and for His uh, It's his joy over us that we might live as witnesses for him. Remember, everything we do and all that we are is ultimately for the glory of God. He is the one who deserves all of our praise.
And we can do that and multiply that and amplify it in a community as we help one another and encourage each other together. When one stands by himself, he is weak. But when we are together, we are strengthened. Moreover, in the Apostle's consistent prayer for this believing community, he experiences joy as he remembers the vibrancy of their faith and petitions the Almighty of his continuing work and blessing within their community. Later in this epistle, Paul will bemoan those who had once professed faith in Yeshua, but who have turned from the faith and become, quote, enemies of the cross of Messiah. We read this in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. So, <laughs> nothing has changed. Even from the, from the first century, in the time of Paul, there were those who came into a community and caused nothing but dissension and disruption and division. But not so with the Messianic community in Philippi, for they continue to live out a vibrant faith in Yeshua. Here then we see a true model for all who are in leadership positions within a local community, such prayers are not only seeking God's hand to overcome problems or difficulties within the community, but also to rejoice in the evident work of the Lord and the lives of those who make up the community. We see that Paul's thanksgiving was joyful because he was confident and knew that his assessment of the maturing faith was proper. And we'll see, we'll get to that proper aspect next week as we begin with verse 7, Lord willing. But it was proper on the basis of how they had ministered to each other and particularly to him. They had proven their willingness to serve one another and therefore to serve the Lord as well as to serve Paul even though he wasn't there currently in the community. Thus, in Paul's inspired words, we are given a picture of the goal for which every local community should strive, namely, that as leaders and members of the community meet together, pray together, worship together, serve each other, and pray for one another throughout the week, the result will be joy, not sorrow. I think oftentimes we do not put enough emphasis upon praying for one another all through the week and seeking to have God's favor upon each one. When we see the Lord working in the lives of one another, we are all encouraged to grow in our own resolve to honor our Lord by truly loving one another as he intends us to do. John MacArthur, uh, noting things in our text, writes this way, The Holy Spirit prompts believers to appreciate others' love, generosity, and compassion, and to forget the rest. How often it is, as, as he mentions here, how often it is that we spend a great deal of time uh, thinking about all the things that are wrong. But the Holy Spirit prompts us to dwell upon those things that are right and good. On the other hand, a person who constantly focuses on the negatives, on faults, shortcomings, and slights of others, is a person not controlled by the Holy Spirit and is perhaps an unbeliever. In other words, the mark of a true believer is that they are known as giving themselves to the leading of the Spirit. Now, at times we grieve the Spirit, granted. But someone whose life is characterized by negativity, negatives and by uh, always uh, emphasizing the faults and shortcomings and slights of others, there's a big question mark there. Why? Because bitterness, resentment, 
a critical spirit, holding grudges and the like, are works of the flesh, not of the spirit. We likewise are reminded by Paul's words in our text how important prayer for each other truly is. As we seek to honor the Lord within our community, and in so doing, to let people outside of the community recognize His work among us, we must be constant and fervent in our prayers for one another. And verse 5, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So here is the, 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 a part of uh, Paul's joy for them, that they were actively participating in the work of the gospel. That is, by caring for his needs and for encouraging him, and even encouraging him in their own walk of faith. The word participation translates the word koinonia, which carries the basic sense of close association involving mutual interests and sharing, association, communion, fellowship, close relationship. And that's straight from the Greek lexicon. The ESV and the NIV both translate because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so there's a sense in which koinonia is that idea of of working together, of fellowship. The point of the word koinonia is one of working together, having a singular goal, and joining hands to see that the goal is achieved. And what was that goal? It was the gospel. Euangelion, literally the good news. Sometimes a community of faith may become so consumed with the many functions which make up the community that the core truth by which the community itself exists may cease to have the central place it deserves. Is it possible that we can become so enamored and so, um, I don't know, driven for this aspect or that aspect or this thing or that thing or these people or that people within the community that we fail to give the full emphasis upon the core of the truth of the gospel? That is, his death, his resurrection, ascension, and intercession. That we, by faith in him, having been made new and given the gift of the indwelling Ruach Kodesh, are to be witnesses in all aspect, in every aspect of our lives of the great salvation he has given to us. In other words, it's very easy when we are having difficulty to focus all of attention upon the difficulty and forget that oftentimes the difficulty can be alleviated by focusing, focusing upon what is true and right and what is the solution to the problem we're facing. Thus Paul in this verse states the very means by which he is confident that the believers who make up the faith community in Philippi are genuine believers in Yeshua, for they continue to participate in the gospel of Yeshua, both in their own community as well as providing for Paul, who was commissioned by Yeshua himself as an apostle for the furtherance of the gospel. You see, it is their life in the gospel which proves to Paul the genuineness of their faith. What is more, they supported Paul's endeavors in the gospel from the first day until now. That is, the Philippian community was con consistent in their faith and living out the gospel, both by maintaining their own life of faith in Yeshua as well as assisting Paul in taking the gospel to other regions. Here we see that the mark of true faith is that of perseverance in the faith, not being sidetracked by false doctrines or selfish ambitions, but remaining faithful 
to that which the scriptures teach. And of course, the scriptures what they had they had at that point were oftentimes the direct teaching of the apostles. I think it uh, without doubt they had uh, uh, copies of the, of the gospels, the earlier uh, uh, teachings and sayings of Yeshua and so forth. Absolutely, we see this regularly uh, referenced in the later epistles. So they were taking what they knew to be the core truth of Yeshua in his incarnation and in his saving work, and having that as the culmination of what the prophets had prophesied, and that they had experienced that very uh, culmination of the promise of the coming Messiah, and living in the reality of that. Can we do the same? You say, well, Tim, we're, <laughs> we're separated by thousands of years from that. Yes, but he lives even today as he did then. The Spirit of God is the same. The Word of God is the same. And we have the same access to him through Yeshua. And therefore, we are one together, even with these early, early believers, such as Paul and others, and the believers before them. We are one people. And somehow we have to let that be a core incentive for being the people God wants us to be. He goes on now in verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Messiah Yeshua. Well, the word confident translates pepoithos, and it's uh, from the verb patho, it's a perfect active participle indicating the cause for Paul's joy and therefore has the force of a present participle in the, in the sense that the faithfulness of the Philippian community in regard to the gospel is a constant witness of their own faith and growth in the Lord. So we could translate it, I continue to be confident of this very thing. Why? Because the very life of the Philippian community is proof that there is genuine faith, genuine salvation that is represented there. So, Paul says, I'm confident. Now the question is, are each of us confident? How can we maintain the confidence that we truly are His? We do that through applying the Word of God to us, to each one of our lives by faith, being continuing in our prayers, and living within a given community where we can be strengthened and encouraged and where we can strengthen others and encourage others. And those are the three primary means or sources of grace in giving us confidence in our salvation. It is what the scriptures have said. It is knowing the truth about Yeshua who died and rose again, ascended on high, and intercedes for us, knowing that to be true believing it and accepting it be true, and then having a, a life that is marked by prayer, seeking to commune with the Lord and to pray for our needs and for the needs of others and to glorify Him in this, and then ultimately to minister to each other, to care for one another, to build one another up within the believing community. He's confident of this very thing. What constitutes Paul's confidence that the believers who made up the community were truly born from above 
is that their actions gave true witness that their faith in Yeshua was genuine, that is, a gift of God. Is faith a gift from God? Absolutely. Paul makes this clear in Ephesians 2, 8-9. through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The important phrase to complement our text here in Philippians is, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The real issue in understanding Paul's meaning in this phrase is the demonstrative, the word that. Now, I'll get a little bit uh, into linguistics here. In Greek, a demonstrative, such as the word that, must agree in gender with the word it modifies. Now, in Greek, you have the feminine gender, you have the masculine gender, and you have the neutered gender. In other words, the word will be spelled slightly differently, depending upon that. And this means that you don't have to have word order to make sense of the sentence, because everything that applies to one word and is a modifier of that word has to agree in gender. So when we begin to ask, what is not of yourselves? He says, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What is the that? What is not of yourselves? We obviously look in the preceding context to find the answer. The word grace in the Greek is feminine gender, and the word faith in the Greek is also feminine. However, the demonstrative word that is in the neuter gender. The best explanation of Paul's words here is that the neuter demonstrative can be used to refer back to an entire clause or to the previous context in general. So what does that mean? Well, we could say it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And all of this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. The faith is the gift of God. The drawing us to himself. The means by which we heard the gospel. All of this is a gift from God. It's not something that we earned. Not something that we can say, it's mine because I wanted it. No. It's the gift of God. No one can boast saying, well, I was smart enough to say yes. No. So all of that, and the Greek uh, uh, grammar is clear that it means, and all of this is a gift of God. Further, in the English translation of it is the gift of God, the English words it is are not actually written in the Greek, but as often are expected to be supplied as an ellipsis or something that's left out. If we were to translate the entire verse woodenly, it would be, for by the grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourself, or this not of you, the gift of God. And when you have, when you don't have the verb to be, it's, it's uh, implied. It is the gift of God. Thus, the best understanding of the grammar is this. Paul is stating that the cause of our salvation is the grace of God, and that we receive his salvation by faith, and neither his grace nor our faith is something which begins with ourselves. Both his grace as well as the faith to receive his gracious offer of salvation are gifts which he gives. Moreover, that all who will constitute the innumerable host of people redeemed by God's grace were chosen before the very creation of the universe and given to Yeshua as those he would redeem is clearly taught in the scriptures. We read again in Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua Messiah, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Yeshua Messiah to himself, 
according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. And to this, uh, the fact that Yeshua himself promised that he would lose none of those given to him by the Father should be added. This is the will of him who sent me, Yeshua said, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. So what does that mean? It means that anyone who is truly born from above will never be lost. Oh, you say, well, Tim, that's just going to cause people to say, well, if you, if you really believe that, then I can just say yes to him and then I can live any way I want. It doesn't matter. No, that's not it at all. Why? Because love changes you. And the love of God changes us. When we come to realize what he has done for us and who we are and who he is and what he has given to us in terms of life, in terms of forgiveness of sin. And by the indwelling work of the Spirit, we are changed. We no longer want to live in a way that disappoints the God who saved us. And if we do, in His love He disciplines us. Whom the Father loves, He chastens. He disciplines. So, Yeshua said that there is a host of people that no one can number who were given to Him, and He's not going to lose one. This is why Paul can be confident. He says, I am confident of this very thing, that the one who has begun this work in you will complete it with a view to the very coming of the Messiah. And so that's the next phrase, that he who began a good work in you, the exercise of saving faith in the one who comes to Yeshua is the result of God's work, not something the individual manufactures himself. Surely it is a cooperative experience. For when God draws the sinner to himself, he likewise gives the one drawn to the gospel the faith to believe. But we do the believing, but he gives us the ability to do so. What God begins, he always finishes. And again, Calvin puts it this way, God does not forsake the work which his own hands have begun, as the prophet bears witness in Psalm 138.8 and Isaiah 64.8. We are the work of his hands. Therefore, he will complete what he has begun in us. When I say that we are the work of his hands, I do not refer to mere creation, but to the calling by which we are adopted into the number of his sons. For it is a token to us of our election that the Lord has called us effectually to himself by his Spirit. Thus Paul was confident that such a work of God was evident in those of the Philippian community who are confessed believers in Yeshua. Thus the very unshakable foundation of Paul's confidence is nothing less than the truth of God's saving work made known through Yeshua. This is what Paul is pointing to when he writes, I am confident of this very thing, for his confidence rests upon the very words of Yeshua himself. All that the Father has given me will come to me. So in our current context, we see a beautiful description of the believer's role in persevering in the faith coupled with divine preservation, giving the child of God both the desire and ability to persevere and to grow in saving faith. This, then, is the foundation of Paul's confidence in the faith of the Philippian believers, for they have demonstrated their faith in their living out the gospel, and this is coupled with the surety of God's promise to redeem all whom he has chosen and given. To Yeshua. He goes on to say, as we conclude verse 6, that he will perfect it until the day of Messiah Yeshua. 
The word perfect translates the Greek epitaleo, which is made up of the uh, preposition epi and the verb teleo, meaning to complete. The added preposition gives the sense of to complete something according to a plan or object. Uh, it's kind of almost if you wouldn't be very if you wanted to be very woodenly upon completion. <laughs> Thus, by writing that God would perfect it, that is, the work that He had begun, means that God has a plan and that he will bring his plan to fruition and completion, nothing can stand in his way of bringing about his holy will. So when, it, when, you, when we say upon completion, that gives the idea that what completion is defined as is already mapped out. It's like the blueprint. When you have the blueprint of a house, then you begin building the, the house, and you keep looking back at the blueprint, and you keep building according to the blueprint, when it's all done, then that picture on the blueprint is completed in the house. That's exactly what we have here. That he will complete it with a view to the day of Messiah Yeshua. The phrase, until the day of Messiah Yeshua, could better be understood as at the day of Messiah Yeshua, that is, the completion of God's plan of salvation for all whom he has given to Yeshua will commence at the day of Yeshua's return when he comes to rule the earth and to bring earth's history to its ordained conclusion. And as we know from another of Paul's epistles, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Messiah will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. We keep our eyes focused upon the goal, but this does not cause us to lose any sight of what we need to do now and to continue to honor Him for the salvation that He has made for us and how He has brought us to Himself. This must pervade our lives and it must control how we treat one another and how we care for each other and how we pray for one another, and how we humble ourselves together, so that together we can have unity for God's glory, not for our own. Okay, that's where we're going to end our study for this evening. I want to thank you for coming, and look forward to being with you again next week as we continue our study in the Epistle of Philippians.